do you ever watch a trailer for something and you you sit there and you're like, oh, they're remaking this, but why? Hey fam, welcome to a new episode of LM2 Talks. As always, I'm your host, Larry. First up, I want to apologize for being a bit delayed in getting this episode out. Um, it is a very busy time for me at work and outside of work. And, um, you know, while I had some pretty good ideas of where I wanted to go with this episode, I just failed to record it. So uh, I'm finally getting around to it. Again, sorry for the delay. It's hopefully going to be a short and sweet episode. Uh, I'm going to be honest, um, you know, the the topic itself, I have some really quick thoughts on and I haven't actually had a chance to see too much, uh, you know, new media, new movies, new TV shows, mostly because I have been running around nonstop with events and, and whatnot for work and again, outside of work. Uh, but I'm hoping that you will enjoy this episode. So at the top, you you kind of got the intro of what I'm talking about today. And if you can read the title, you also know. But this week, I am talking about remakes, sequels, and reboots, or sequels, remakes, and reboots, however you want to look at it. Um, because recently, uh, a couple of, in the video game sector, a couple of really big video games have come out. Um, namely, uh, Kingdom Hearts 3 and Resident Evil 2. And I know, I know for some of you who are sitting here listening to it, you're like, oh, video games. I don't know if I actually care about this or want to listen, but I'm going to kind of keep that short and sweet. Um, you know, so just like a little bit of an intro, uh, Kingdom Hearts, uh, is, you know, the third game just came out or uh, the third mainline game just came out in a series that's been running since the early 2000s. Uh, it basically is a collaboration between uh, Square Enix, who are the people that make the Final Fantasy games, uh, and Disney. And it follows your character Sora as he travels around multiple universes and worlds uh, with his friends Donald and Goofy to defeat... Uh, these things known as the heartless and nobodies it's weird it's weird but the fans of it really love it um and this game has been a long time coming and you know from what i've been seeing i have not had a chance to play it myself yet but there's a lot of mixed reactions to the game the other major sequel that i mentioned before is resident evil 2 which is both a sequel and a remake and this game you know in in my article that I wrote on my blog about some of the properties that I was looking forward to this year, it was very high on that list for me because it was something that even though I hadn't actually played the original, uh, it was a game that I was kind of, have kind of been steeped in, you know, for most of my life since it's come out. Um, you know, I grew up reading the strategy guide. I've watched countless people play through the original game. I've watched countless people play through the new game i've tried my hand at the new game i am not good at it but uh you know it really made me want to talk about you know all of these sequels remakes and reboots and you know kind of for me what are some of the things that can actually make them work because i think sometimes they get a bad rap you'll have directors and people like um 
you know, Edgar, Edgar Wright is a really good example who was just kind of like, oh, I'm tired of franchises and sequels and remakes and all of that. And, and I get that. I get that sentiment. I get why some people are like, uh, why do we need a sequel to this? You know, the original was fine or, or, you know, why do we, why are we wasting our time with this? Why don't we create something new? And I think that's a, a little bit of a weird way to kind of look at it. I'm not saying that it's wrong, but I, I somewhat disagree with it because I think there are times when those sequels, reboots, and remakes can be really original, more fun than the the first movie or more fun than the original sometimes or more engaging. Um, you know, same thing with video games and whatnot. Um, to use the Resident Evil example that I brought up, one of my favorite games of all time was Resident Evil Remake on the GameCube. And what that was, was a almost a complete remake of the original Resident Evil that had originally come out on PlayStation. And they updated the graphics, they added in new sequences, they added in, you know, kind of more background on some of what was going on. And they really just kind of made this really beautiful experience from something that, you know, was was this kind of critical darling and they found a way to make it better. And that's something that I kind of see often. You know, I did a poll on my social media to see if other people felt that there are remakes, sequels or reboots that are better than the original. And, you know, the answers that I was getting were were all over the place. People had a lot of really great responses. Just pulling from a few that are here in front of me, you know, looking at stuff like how Thor 3 is better than the first two Thor movies and really does a great job of expanding that series and making it something that's actually interesting or people care about. Uh, when Battlestar Galactica was was remade and, you know, again, like just the idea of taking, you know, I, I don't want to just kind of dismiss the original Battlestar Galactica, but they did a much better job of making it this more engrossing drama that people wanted to, you know, kind of go along with. Um, some people bring up horror movies. Um, you know, one of my friends brought up that he really enjoys the Rob Zombie version of Halloween and feels that it is it is a superior remake. Um you know, but, you know, in other places, that same friend was like, well, maybe I like Godfather 1 better than Godfather 2, or I think that Terminator is better than Terminator 2. And those are those are fair responses. Uh, someone brought up The Mummy, you know, that Brendan Fraser mummy movie from 98, 99, whenever it came out, um, comparing it to the original mummy. And yes, I know that they are different things, but you know, for some people, it did the right things for them. And, you know, a little bit later, I'll kind of go into some of those, um, you know, for fans of Batman and comic books, the Dark Knight trilogy, you know, say what you will about the old Tim Burton movies. Maybe you like the Joel Schumacher trash that was made. Uh, but the Dark Knight trilogy is so much better than a lot of the Batman movie content that had come out before. And, you know, even stuff like looking at Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse or Spider-Man Homecoming and how, you know, again, not everybody is going to agree, but uh, I happen to agree with some of the people that commented on this that, you know, those are better than what we got with some of the Sam Raimi films. You know, I know there are a lot of people that are diehard Spider-Man 2 people, but, you know, I feel like both of the new Spider-Man films that we've gotten are better than those and especially better than the Amazing Spider-Man films. So 
it's tough though because when you've kind of waded through hey here's a garbage sequel here's a garbage reboot here's a garbage remake it makes you not necessarily want to engage in those and so I can understand some of the trepidation that people may have when they see something's being remade or that you know they they're seeing something that they love get rebooted um you know, and, and for me, just like thinking about it, I, I think about sequels a lot and I think about movies and I think about which movies I like better than others and, you know, what things are effective and what things aren't, you know, and, I, and when I posed this question, there were two kind of ideas that, that stood out in my mind outside of, you know, Resident Evil Remake and Resident Evil 2 Remake, which I think for me, both are better than the originals. And, you know, what, what's funny about that is Resident Evil 2, um, from a game perspective and from a storytelling perspective, I actually think is a better experience than the original Resident Evil. Um, not saying that it, it's necessarily a better game, but I think in terms of lasting appeal and the world that was created and the characters that were brought in, Resident Evil 2 is so much more resonant than the original Resident Evil. And so to be able to see that game, you know, be a great sequel and then to be a great sequel rebooted and remade in a way that made it even better is, is something substantial. You know, and in, in the movie space, looking at stuff like, all right, I know there are a lot of Die Hard, a New Hope people, you know, in terms of our Star Wars fans, but. Empire is one of the best movies of all time, and it is the greatest Star Wars movie, and it is a sequel. Um, you know, sorry if you disagree, but that's just the way it is. Um, you know, and and even even other films. You know, thinking. You know, one of the things that came to mind was Back to the Future, and yes, I really enjoy the first Back Back to the Future, except for when they refer to black musicians as spooks. That was a little. Uh, you know, jarring for me. Um, never, you know, even though that would have been part of the time frame, we would have heard some stuff like that. It was caught me a little off guard. Um, but for me, there's a lot of inventiveness that goes into Back to the Future 2, uh, where we we get elements of that first movie there in there, but it adds so much to the world that it just feels that much more to me. And, you know, for me, if I'm going to go back and watch those films, two is the one that I'm probably going to land on because I, I feel like it is the better film. And again, I know I know people are going to disagree. I know people are going to say, well, it relies too much on the first one. That's fine if you feel that way. Um, but, you know, again, these are these are my opinions. These are the ways that I see things. And, you know, I welcome that conversation. I welcome that discussion of if you agree or not. Um, but there were a couple of things that really stood out to me, especially thinking about Resident Evil 2 and what worked about it being remade. Uh, and, you know, what things you kind of need to do to make your remake, reboot, sequel successful. And that first one for me is like really capturing the feel of the original, um, especially when you're remaking something. Um, you know, video games are, are one of the places where this this kind of most comes into my consciousness because, all right, you know, looking at something like the original Resident Evil 2, 
the PlayStation graphics at the time were were great. Uh, but you look back at that game now and it's just like, well, it's just a bunch of polygons stacked on top of each other. Everything's kind of blocky and everything like that. But when you were either playing that game or watching someone play that game, your kind of imaginative filter made that game look much more cinematic, much more real than it actually was. And so there there were those aspects to it the game filled you with this sense of terror you never knew where something was going to come from you know until you've kind of beaten it a bunch of times and then you would you know kind of have that sense of where everything is and when it's going to come up but it, it it genuinely felt filled you with this sense of terror and that your resources were limited and that you weren't sure if you had enough ammunition to take out all of the zombies that were chasing you or mr x and so seeing the new game come out those are things that those are considerations that you helped were kept intact and they did that they did a marvelous job of kind of keeping that sense of of terror of limited resources of making you really feel like you're surviving this experience and that was something that went a really long way into kind of making that successful in the same way you know, when we look at, you know, reboots of stuff like Spider-Man, um, even thinking back to the comics, you know, there's that idea that Peter Parker has to be someone who's relatable. He has to be down on his luck. He has to be trying to make up for a mistake that he made in his past. And, you know, he's constantly struggling with the you know, turmoil and and hardships of everyday life and everything like that. And so you have to really capture that in the movie that you're making. And and that's really where stuff like Homecoming shined, where the amazing Spider-Man didn't. You know, you never necessarily had that sense of <clears throat> Peter is struggling in the amazing spider-man movies you get that in homecoming you know and why is he struggling how is he struggling you know why is he beating himself up about the things that are happening why does he feel guilty about you know when these uh you know villains and whatnot are coming into his neighborhood and wreaking havoc and it's really about capturing that initial feeling capturing that initial magic uh, and, you know, realistically, you know, to pick, bring it back to the other big video game sequel that came out, I think that's why a lot of people are having that mixed reaction to something like Kingdom Hearts 3, because it's hard to recapture that magic that you had the first time that you experienced something. And realistically, the best sequels, the best reboots, the best remakes, they do that. They do that marvel marvelously, you know, and that's not to say that that's the only way to make a great reboot, remake or sequel. Um, I think one of the things that stands out to me is how is that world expanded? So what are the things that you add on to flesh out the experience, to flesh out your understanding of what's going on within that universe? And I think that's where, uh, for me, like big examples of this are your Empire Strikes Back or your Star Trek The Next Generation even, you know, even though it's a TV series, I'll look at that as a sequel series to the original Star Trek. And what that does is it really, it gives us more of the universe. We understand more of the turmoil, more of the conflicts in the universe. We have un a greater understanding of what the mission is that um, the Starship Enterprise is on. We 
we just see so much more of that world of that universe in the same way that empire does a much better job of fleshing out the mythology of the force it gives us better insight into the empire and the characters behind it and what they're doing it gives us a sense of what is out there that we didn't necessarily get in the original and yes you know star wars a new hope is a great you know hero's journey coming of age whatever you want to look at it as uh you know sci fantasy film but empire does this great job of you know just giving us so much more in the same way that back to the future 2 gives us more we see the future we see the past we see how they are interconnected we see how they affect each other in a much more real and visceral way and that that kind of gives you that greater feeling that greater sense of why you're actually sitting there and watching it and i think that's really important to do and and along those same lines you know for me the 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 third kind of big point with that is giving something all its own um you know and so you know the next couple of things that i'm going to talk about they're not necessarily better than the originals because i think they're they're different and i have a hard time uh, comparing them you know but i mentioned before you know one of my friends mentioning that they like terminator one better than terminator two uh, but I think they both have their place. They both have their validity. And I think for me, like I would kind of put them on even ground uh, because they're two different movies in the same way that Alien and Aliens are two different movies. You know, in both cases, the first movie was very much a horror movie. You know, the Terminator in the original Terminator movie is essentially a slasher. He is Jason. He is uh, Mike Myers. He is chasing you down and trying to kill you. And in the second one, they are much more horror action affairs. You know, it's not that kind of singular. We are being chased by this thing and trying to survive. There's more guns. There's more explosions. There's more action there's more character dynamics there's more of the you know kind of paternal or maternal depending on which one you're talking about uh aspects of of protection and protecting childhood and protecting life from these kind of forces that are uncontrollable and unstoppable um and i feel that's where both of these kind of shine they give you something that's different that makes them compelling on their own and makes them work on their own you know both of those are films that I would argue that you don't need to see the original. And, and I'm not saying that you shouldn't watch the originals. I think everybody should watch Terminator 1 and Alien. But if you only watch Terminator 2 Judgment Day and you only watch Aliens, I don't think you are in for a deficient experience. Yeah, that's one of those things that I think people often don't get about how to make a really good sequel. You should have enough where... I can go into this thing and I can watch it without having watched anything else and feel completely brought into the world, completely, you know, feel like I'm being brought up to speed by it and feel like, you know, potentially if I'm watching these out of order, this second one makes me want to go back and watch the first one or makes me want to go back and play the first one and see how we got to this point. Uh, you know, and, and I think that's the thing with, uh, going back to, to the video game releases that I was talking about, Resident Evil 2 does a great job of that where, you know, characters or a character specifically from the first game is mentioned, you know, you don't see them in the game. You really only hear about them. You know, you're playing as the sister of one of the main characters from the first game. And, 
you know, if you are compelled by that, you're going to want to know, well, who is this person? You know, why doesn't this sound like him? Who is he? Uh, and so hopefully that'll compel you to want to go and experience the original. And so being able to either follow a story from the beginning or wanting to go back and experiencing it from the start, I think are, are two really central and key things that, you know, a sequel can do well or should do well in order to kind of make it stand out you know one place that i i think a lot of people kind of struggle with with this idea on is you know i look at a lot of the marvel stuff and people get frustrated because they're like oh well you know i saw the sequel and you know we'll use guardians of the galaxy as an example you know i saw guardians of the galaxy volume two and i felt like it was largely the same conflict you know the same you know interpersonal conflict the same character development and same character tracks as the first movie and i understand that i understand that reading of the film and i understand how that can be a struggle for people to see why was this sequel valuable and i think that's where as writers as directors uh the folks that are making these films really need to consider those things they really need to kind of think about all right am i just remaking you know, even though this is a sequel, it's part of a franchise. Am I just remaking the thing that we just had? Am I just telling the same story? Am I just telling the same character story? Or am I building upon it in a way where uh, we're getting more insight? We're getting more information, you know, and, and from a overall story perspective, yes, Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2 does that. But I do understand why people feel that, well, maybe it doesn't do that well enough and that some of the conflicts that we see our characters have, some of the struggles that we see them having are kind of their exact same arcs from the first one. So how can you switch that up if it's going to be that kind of direct sequel piece? Um, and, you know, from from there, you know, how do you how do you move on? How do you make this something that can, you know, yeah, you know, like I said before, how can you make it something that can stand on its own? If I'm not going to see the original, if I'm not going to play the original, if I'm not going to read the original, can this sequel make me want to see it? And does going back and seeing or experiencing that first one add something to the experience that I just had with the second one or does it not? Um, you know, and I know that's kind of like a, a, weird reverse engineering kind of thing of looking at sequels and remakes and, and reboots and all that. But I think it's an important one. You know, I should feel compelled not just to see the original, but to seek it out because there is greater understanding or greater context that I want um, that isn't necessarily needed. Um, you know, and I, and I know like I said before, I know it's a weird way of thinking about it, but that's for me, that's, that's something that's really important. Every experience that I have with a piece of media should be able to stand on its own and just be enhanced by having additional information, but not necessarily require additional information. Um, you know, and to kind of get back to the Kingdom Hearts example, I think that's that's an area where that game, you know, potentially fails. You know, I watched a few, you know, I, I watched a few hours of gameplay from the from the third game and, you know, they do an all right job of summing up some of what happened before, but there are so many spin-off games between, you know, the first and second game and the second and third game where there's so much information that if you missed any of it, you're going to feel lost. No matter, you know, 
and that's that's the struggle the game was made almost specifically for the people that have experienced everything that's come before uh and you know again for me that just doesn't work that's where that's where sequels really fail like you know i want i want to be able to introduce new people to this piece of media or to this experience and i need all of the tools right there in this new piece of it to be able to do so and if those are missing i feel it's deficient so i think you know in, in terms of giving it something all its own i think that also expands to well how do you make aspects of it different you know in the example of the resident evil remake they added an entire boss they added an entire area that you go to that wasn't in the original game and they did that again in resident evil 2 and i think those things again you know just to kind of get back to that expanding the world idea they expand the world they give you more they give you more context to think about in the same way that aliens you know shows you what happens when these creatures reach a colony you know and you're not just on you know essentially a ghost ship and experiencing these things but you see how they affected people and that was something that was different you know sure you saw it burst out of somebody you know in the first movie um but you don't necessarily see what happens when they overrun a colony and so what does that look like uh how does that experience change what happens when the terminator isn't the only terminator um you know and and what happens when you subvert the expectation of hey this thing that was the villain in the original movie from what i understand is now the hero um you know so really finding those ways to give your sequels your remakes your reboots that kind of life of their own where it's not just watching a rehash of the same experience but you are getting those bits and pieces that add on to it, make it more exciting, make it more relevant, make it more interesting. Um, you know, and, and, you know, I've been saying this throughout, but it, it really is that idea of making it work with the original. You know, I think the thing for me is with sequels, with remakes, with reboots, and, you know, I, I should have made a drinking game where every time I say those words, and no matter what order they're in, you drink. Um, if you want to go back and play that now, feel free let me know how that goes i'd be interested to know how many drinks you take um but i think for me it's that idea of how do you make these companion pieces you know how do you make them work in no matter what order you are experiencing them in how do you make them expand one another how do you make them supplement one another how do you make them feel necessary to one another in in so that you are having a more complete experience from having viewed or watched both and i know there are certain things like you know there are certain you know trilogies or franchises where this works a little bit differently um you know, I actually feel like Marvel is an area where the 
the individual components of the franchises don't always work as companion pieces. Like, yes, they do in that they kind of build up to the greater whole. Um, you know, that's how the Avengers franchise is essentially running, where, you know, we're getting these pieces that introduce aspects that'll come together in later films, potentially. Um, you know, but if not all of your pieces are successful in that, how much of it do you need? You know, phase two for me is like the the glaring example of that, where so much of phase two is just unnecessary and doesn't really add to the greater whole that I don't know how much we really need. And, and when I talk to people about, hey, like what Marvel stuff should I go back and watch? A lot of phase two just kind of gets omitted, you know, and it's like, even though it's not the greatest thing ever. You know, there's often times where I'm like, well, you know, maybe you just need to watch, you know, Avengers Age of Ultron, you know, and 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 watch Winter Soldier. You know, those are those are kind of like the two pieces that you need to watch. Uh, everything else you can probably skip because I don't know if they're really necessary. And, and again, like I know people might disagree with that, but it's like if you look at how each of those films in the Marvel franchise kind of builds up and builds on top of each other. All right, what pieces are essential? What pieces are foundational? And I think that's the thing with, you know, with these franchises, with sequels, with remakes, with reboots. It's like, does one provide a foundation for another? And is that reciprocal? You know, does that go either way? And if it doesn't, I don't necessarily know if that's successful or not. Um, and and again, like I know folks are going to disagree with that because I know people are going to say, well, you know, if the remake is really good, I should never have to go and experience the original. And that's fair. That's fair. I understand that. But I think there's a certain context that comes with experiencing the first one or the original um, that should still be important and should still be augmented uh, by your experiencing of the newer one that's come out. And so, you know, wherever possible, I think that should be done. And yeah, so I mean, for me, those are those are pretty much the elements that I think go into, you know, properly making compelling, good um, sequels, reboots and remakes. Um you know, I, I think about this often, you know, even even a game that I was obsessed with uh, at the end of last year, Red Dead Redemption 2 is a great example of this because the game is technically a prequel. Um, and, you know, I, I guess I should have thrown prequels into the mix, too, because I, I think they operate in very much the same way here, too, if they are done well their experiences all their own. I can tell somebody that they can just play Red Dead Redemption 2 without needing to play Red Dead Redemption 1 because it does so many different things with its own story that you don't necessarily need to have that first game and you don't have to have an understanding of its story to jump in and feel engrossed and engaged. But having played the first game will supplement that experience and give you a different context in the same way that then playing Red Dead Redemption 1 after playing Red Dead Redemption 2 will give you additional context to everything that you've kind of experienced in that game. And so, you know, being able to create that reciprocal experience that builds on top of itself no matter what direction you're moving in. 
I think that is something that we should strive to achieve when we're creating these franchises, when we're creating sequels, reboots, and remakes, you know. But, you know, as always, these are my thoughts. I'd really be interested in hearing yours. For you, what makes a great sequel? What makes a great reboot? What makes a great remake? And beyond that, what are the things that you would love to see remade? What are the things that you would love to see get a sequel that you feel like either haven't gotten the sequel they deserve yet or, you know, just haven't gotten a sequel at all or haven't been rebooted or remade that you would really love to see remade? Um there's a lot of properties out there and yes yes i am always a person who would love to see something original be made i love original stories i love original storytelling i love original concepts i love seeing those things but i also love to see people work within established worlds and make them their own and make them interesting and so yeah i just want to hear from you what are the things that you actually would like to see you know, kind of updated, remade, renewed, or, or, you know, kind of given that sequel treatment, um, hit me up on social media at Larry, uh, at Larry Tron, pretty much everywhere that you can at somebody, um, or shoot me an email, Larry at LM2photo.com. So really looking forward to hearing what you have to say about that. So moving into spoiler-free reviews, uh, this week is a bit of an interesting one because, uh, like I said, even though it's been two weeks since I've recorded, I have not had an opportunity to see too much. Um, there are a couple of movies that I did see, uh, one being The Favorite. Um, so with seeing The Favorite, I have now seen all of the Best Picture nominees for this year's uh, Academy Awards. Um, and the favorite is one of maybe three movies that I feel actually deserve to be nominated for that award. Um, it's a, it's a difficult movie to talk about because whatever I say, it'll never truly capture the entering interestingness, the weirdness, the fun, the cattiness, the energy of this film. Um, you know, it's 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 this great exploration of kind of being a fly on the wall of aristocracy in this this really interesting way that you know breaks down the glitz and glam of you know what we think of royalty and kind of politics in the you know in the uh, you know, it's not the dark ages, but in in earlier times uh, in in European contexts and and really does a great job of of showcasing the ugliness of it all. And, you know, I just think the performances are amazing. Everybody who's acting in that film is, is fantastic. The costuming is superb. Um, the soundtrack, you know, the, the score and everything is, is marvelous. And the eerie, strange camera work, I think, kind of works perfectly for, uh, you know, really, you know, like I said, giving you that that sense that that you are the eyes in the walls experiencing this thing. And so, um, you know, I'm not going to say much more than that, because I, I think this is a film that that people need to experience. And um, I could never do kind of, you know, providing a synopsis justice. But, um, you know, I, I definitely think it is one of the best films in that kind of best picture group. Um, 
you know, yeah, it's just, it, I, I had heard a lot about it. I had heard a lot of people who were kind of unsure about it. And, you know, I had been looking to see it for a very long time. Uh, when I initially went to see it, I had missed my screening just because of some stuff coming up. Um, and I was not disappointed. I was fully engaged for the entire runtime. And, you know, I, I just thought it was really marvelously done. The other thing that I watched recently and I realized that I actually could have talked about this on my last podcast was uh, Killer Mike's Trigger Warning on Netflix. Um, it is an interesting, uh, to say the least, uh, show. Uh, and I guess the easiest way that I could sum it up for somebody is it's kind of like Nathan for you. Uh, but with Killer Mike and focused on the black community. Um, and I had a weird kind of experience with the show where I, I wasn't really sure what to feel about it at first. Um, I feel like it is, and, and the way that I described it online is like, I feel like it is a really great show trapped inside a mediocre show. Um, the way that he approaches some of the topics doesn't quite work for me 100% of the time. Uh, but there are other points where it is hilarious and, uh, things just work, things just click. And so, um, what I would say is, you know, go into it with an open mind. If you're going to watch it, uh, there are some parts that are incredibly funny. There are also some parts that are incredibly cringe. Um, there's also this weird tinge of, um, at times I felt personally like it, 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 it came across as a little exploitative, um, but that may have just been the way that I was reading it or the way that I was feeling at the time. So uh, what I would definitely say is kind of go into it, see how you feel about it yourself. And, you know, usually within, you know, a couple of episodes, you'll be able to kind of tell how you feel. The great thing about the series is this half hour episodes and they go pretty fast. So you can knock out the entire series pretty quickly. And I will say that, you know, once you get to... I think it's like episode four or five. Uh, the episodes are really kind of building on one another. Uh, so it is, it's, it's not one of those things that I would say you can just kind of skip around and watch pieces of. You should watch it in order because there are callbacks to earlier parts of the season. So, um, you know, definitely worth considering there. Um, another thing that I watched on Netflix, uh, was Polar, uh, with Mad, Mads Mikkelsen. It's based on the, uh, graphic novel. Uh, and this is not something that I can recommend. Uh, when I saw this trailer, I got really excited. I thought, Hey, like this is going to be a great over the top, um, you know, crazy assassins action drama. And while it is most of those things, uh, the other thing that it is, is a bit juvenile or, uh, to use the word that I, I, I know a lot of reviewers love to use sophomoric. Um, it is definitely something that a younger me would have loved, you know, in middle school or high school, or even early in college, I would have been eating it up. 
Uh, it's one of those things that thinks it's way cooler than it is. Um, not to say that it doesn't have cool aspects or that it doesn't have something that's not doing interesting things at times. And it's not to say that Mads Mikkelsen doesn't do a good job, but so much of it is like just too far over the top where you're just like, this isn't interesting. It thinks it's interesting. It's pretending it's interesting, but it's not actually interesting. Uh, and I think that's kind of the... For me, that's the kiss of death of something. You know, I can enjoy something bad if it's interesting, if it keeps me engaged. This did not. This, you know, for people that, you know, have the laptop or the phone test, this did not pass that for me. And I'm usually pretty good at that. You know, I'm usually pretty good of say, as at saying, hey, I'm going to go into this thing. I am watching this thing. I am not going to engage in other media while I do so. And this just did not do it. It did not do it. I was on my phone within the first five minutes. Anybody who has seen the first five minutes of this movie will probably understand why. Um, I had to immediately kind of share some thoughts and a, and a warning for some folks that might have been excited about getting into this film. Um, so, yeah, so that's just that's another thing that that I would say to kind of watch out for. Finally, I'm going to get into some of the things that I am loving this week. Um, and there are actually a few that are coming to mind. Um, so for those of you who don't know or don't care, um, the Super Bowl was this weekend. And so, you know, while there wasn't a whole lot of stuff where I was like, oh, like this really stands out to me. Um, one thing that I that I did really, really enjoy was the commercial for the NFL Centennial. And, uh, you know, again, I know a lot of people have a lot of feelings on the NFL. I personally have a lot of feelings on the NFL and I'm and, and trying to kind of sort those out uh, because I have a long you know, family history of interest and in watching the NFL. And it's been, you know, such an intrinsic part of my life for a really long time that, you know, Quitting it has been difficult, uh, to say the least, um, you know, especially in wanting to stand in solidarity with, uh, you know, people that may uh, have been railroaded by the NFL, like Colin Kaepernick or or like how, you know, some of again, some of these personal feelings that I have towards the management of the league and the way that it that it looks at players and treats players and the way that fans uh, treat those players. Um, but I, I felt that they produce a really great Centennial commercial. It captured why I love football, why I love so many of the personalities involved. Um, and, and really, I just love that you know, my man, Marshawn Lynch, Beast Mode, really kicks off the action in this commercial. Um, Marshawn Lynch, like, is one of my favorite athletes of all time. One, because of the way that he played the game, but two, because of his attitude. Um, he is he is one of those people that I... I <laughs> It's weird because, like, given my career path and given the way that I act, people would probably never think that I'm inspired by this guy, but he continually inspires me with the way that he approaches 
not just, you know, approached not just the game, but approached his interactions, his interactions with media, his interactions with other people, um, and kind of his focus. I, I always thought that was really interesting and and his kind of understatedness despite being a statement all his own uh, is just something that that really appealed to me. And so seeing him kick off this commercial in the way that he did, um, you know, really spoke to me. On top of that, we also got new previews for the new Jordan Peele movie, Us, uh, which I'm really looking forward to March 22nd or 21st, whenever it'll actually be in the theater near me. Cannot come soon enough. Uh, I actually have to check, but I think I may be out of the state when it comes out, so I may not be able to see it uh, on opening day like I was planning to, uh, but I'm going to try to see if I can find an early screening. Likewise, Jordan Peele's other project on CBS All Access, which I'm trying to figure out if I'm going to subscribe to or not. I think I already have too many streaming services, so I'm not sure if I'm going to. Uh, His new Twilight Zone series, they showed a commercial for it, and even though we didn't get much in the way of what is actually going to be on the show i am really stoked to see where it goes um and uh another thing that i am really loving right now um just came my way yesterday uh thanks to one of my uh former students and friends um asap rocky asap rockies not asap rock asap rockies uh new video for uh kids turned out fine um, this video, like I love music videos. I, I, there's so much enjoyment that I get out of them. And I really love it when people create something stylish, something interesting, something cool that complements the song that is being, uh, showcased there. And I feel like this video You know, some people are going to watch the video and be like, this is weird. This song is weird. I don't know why it's cut this way. This doesn't make sense to me. For me, I just feel like it's stylistically perfect. Tonally, it makes sense for the song. And, you know, it all just works so marvelously together. And it's really a treat to watch. It's visually well done. The way that the effects are done in the video are, are phenomenal. Um... And if you like filmmaking, if you're interested in film technique, I think this, you know, this Dexter Navy directed video is something that's really worth watching um, and giving the time to. Obviously, you know, it's rap music, so not safe for work in terms of, you know, the audio, Um, you know, and there's some drug use in the video. So, you know, maybe don't let your kids watch, but uh, definitely a really cool, interesting video to check out. So... So yeah, that is another episode of LM2 Talks. Thank you for hanging in there. Hopefully this has made your drive go easier or your morning, you know, glow up routine or, you know, your drive home, wherever you're listening to this. If you could, it would mean so much to me if you left a review wherever you're listening to this or you leave a recommend. Give me five stars, please. Um, 
let people know that you're loving the podcast because it will help other people find the podcast. Um, you know, as always, if you have feedback, if you have questions, if you have comments, if you have topic ideas for future episodes, if you have questions that you want to ask that you want me to answer on an upcoming episode, hit me up on social media at LarryTron pretty much everywhere or email me Larry at LM2photo.com. Um, hit me up. I love to hear from you all. Um, as always, you know, we're on pretty much everywhere where you can find podcasts, Apple podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Google podcasts, uh, tune in, uh, SoundCloud, you know, whatever you're fancy, we're there. Make sure you let your friends know, especially if they're into the types of topics that I'm talking about. Uh, next week, I have a very special episode coming up, which is another part of the reason why things have been a little bit delayed because I've been thinking about this one a lot and I'm really excited to talk about it. We are looking at Black Panther one year later. Again, this is largely going to be my thoughts. Um, I'm going to be talking about my feelings going into the film when I first saw the trailer, my feelings, you know, opening night uh, when I led a discussion about the film. Um, the subsequent two or three times that I saw it in theaters and then kind of looking back on its impact throughout the year uh, and kind of where we stand one year out from that film. So um, look forward to that. I'm really excited to bring that episode to you all. Um, I have a lot of thoughts on it uh, and a lot that I want to share. Uh, and you know, in advance, if you have questions, you know, or you have concerns or you, you know, want to hear me talk about, uh, specific things in that episode, definitely let me know. So as always, thanks for listening, fam. I'll talk to you soon. Peace.